Let me ask you if you would turn with me this evening to the prophecy of Daniel. Daniel chapter 1. You'll have seen in your bulletin that the message this evening was to be the maturing of a disciple. I had purpose to speak to you this evening really just a few bullet points taken from the life of the Apostle John following on from our thoughts in his first epistle this morning. Well, they say a woman's prerogative is to change her mind. I don't know how long that's been a saying. I know in house remodeling and paint colors and things like that, there's a great deal of truth in that. Um, I guess a preacher's prerogative can be something of the same. And as I've thought about that particular message, I, I just was led to let it sit. So I want this evening to, well, they say the country choir director stands up and says, pray for, pray for us, we ain't practiced. Hopefully it's not quite that bad, but it's in that, and it's in that territory. I want us to read the first chapter of the prophecy of Daniel. We're going to turn also and have a reading from Deuteronomy. So we'll have significant Bible reading this evening. We had a brief one this morning. But let us all always be jealous for the public reading of the Lord's Word. I'm impressed more and more in my ministry just at the Lord's purpose and providence in telling us to give attendance to reading. So never take lightly the public reading of Scripture. Daniel's Prophecy, chapter 1. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, came Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, unto Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand. With part of the vessels of the house of God, which he carried into the land of Shinar, to the house of his God. And he brought the vessels into the treasure house of his God. And the king spake unto Ashpenaz, the master of his eunuchs, that it should bring certain of the children of Israel and of the king's seed and of the princes, children in whom was no blemish but well favored, and skillful in all wisdom and cunning in knowledge and understanding science, and such as had ability in them to stand in the king's palace, and whom they might teach the learning and the tongue of the Chaldeans. And the king appointed them a daily provision of the king's meat and of the wine which he drank. So nourished he them three years, that at the end thereof they might stand before the king. Now among these were of the children of Judah, Daniel, Ananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, unto whom the prince of the eunuchs gave names, for he gave unto Daniel the name of Belteshazzar, to Hananiah of Shadrach, to Mishael of Meshach, and to Azariah of Abednego. But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with a portion of the king's meat, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore he requested of the prince of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. Now God had brought Daniel into favor and tender love with the prince of the eunuchs. And the prince of the eunuchs said unto Daniel, I fear my lord the king, who hath appointed your meat and your drink. For why should he see your faces worse liking than the children which are of your sort? Then shall you make me endanger my head to the king. Then said Daniel to Melzar, whom the prince of the eunuchs had set over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, 
Prove thy servants, I beseech thee, ten days. And let them give us pulse to eat and water to drink. Then let our countenances be looked upon before thee, and the countenance of the children that eat of the portion of the king's meat. And as thou seest, deal with thy servants. So he consented to them in this matter, and proved them ten days. And at the end of ten days, their countenances appeared fairer and fatter in flesh than all the children which did eat the portion of the king's meat. Thus Melzar took away the portion of their meat and the wine that they should drink and gave them pulse. As for these four children, God gave them knowledge and skill and all learning and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. Now at the end of the days that the king had said he should bring them in, then the prince of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. And the king communed with them, and among them all, was found none like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore stood they before the king. And in all matters of wisdom and understanding that the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and astrologers that were in all his realm. And Daniel continued, even until the year of the first year of King Cyrus. Now I want you to turn... Back with me, if you would, to the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 28. We're going to begin reading in verse 58 and read down through the end of the chapter. If thou wilt not observe to do all the words of this law that are written in this book, that thou mayest fear this glorious and fearful name, the Lord thy God. Then the Lord will make thy plagues wonderful, and the plagues of thy seed, even great plagues, and of long continuance, and sore sickness, and of long continuance. Moreover, he will bring upon thee all the diseases of Egypt, which thou wast afraid of, and they shall cleave unto thee. Also every sickness and every plague, which is not written in the book of this law, them will the Lord bring upon thee, until thou be destroyed. And ye shall be left few in number, whereas ye were as the stars of heaven for multitude, because thou wouldst not obey the voice of the Lord thy God. And it shall come to pass that as the Lord rejoiced over you to do you good and to multiply you, so the Lord will rejoice over you to destroy you and to bring you to naught. And ye shall be plucked from off the land whither thou goest to possess it. And the Lord shall scatter thee among all people, from the one end of the earth even unto the other. And there shalt thou serve other gods, which neither thou nor thy fathers have known, even wood and stone. And among these nations shalt thou find no ease. Neither shall the sole of thy foot have rest. But the Lord shall give thee there a trembling heart, and failing of eyes, and sorrow of mind. And thy life shall hang in doubt before thee, And thou shalt fear day and night, and shalt have none assurance of thy life. In the morning thou shalt say, Would God it were even. And at even thou shalt say, Would God it were morning. For the fear of thine heart wherewith thou shalt fear, and for the sight of thine eyes which thou shalt see. And the Lord shall bring thee into Egypt again with ships by the way whereof I spake unto thee. Thou shalt see it no more again, and there shall shall you be sold unto your enemies for bondmen. And bondwomen, and no man shall buy you. Well, amen. We trust the Lord 
to bless a sober reading from his word this evening. Let us bow our heads and our hearts together. Heavenly Father, we come tonight and we are grateful for the promises and assurances of the gospel. And Lord, we are also sobered. Lord, we're sobered and and comforted at the same time as we see your sovereign hand always in the affairs of men. And we pray that you will give us grace and wisdom this very night in these meditations upon the experience of your people from so long ago that we might gain some help for the experiences that are now our own. So prosper your word. Lord, even this very reading of your word, prosper it to our hearts. We ask it in Jesus' worthy name. Amen. As I said, it had been my thought to speak to you this evening from the life of John. But I thought the last couple of days of turning our thoughts to this prophecy of Daniel. I've been speaking in my own church the last several weeks on just the opening seven chapters of this book. We've not tried to indulge in prophetic inquiries as to dates and times and so forth. And of course, most of that, as you know, comes in the later chapters of the book. But looking at it more from the perspective of some of God's own people that were among those that were taken into captivity... For some of our forefathers, as it were, in the faith, who lived in in changing and in difficult times, we are living in changing and difficult times. And we need wisdom. We need the help of heaven to discern the times in which we live. To guard our own hearts, to check our feelings and our instincts and make sure that they're gospel feelings and gospel instincts. Because I think it is easy for us at times, perhaps even from the best of motives, and to take portions as it were of truth, but to to pursue them with great zeal while ignoring other aspects of truth and, and seeking at times and asking the Lord hard questions. And at times just waiting upon him before running blindly ahead. I believe Daniel and his companions are a wonderful example of godly men that were called upon to live in in tragic and amazing circumstances and yet to bear wonderful testimony And be used of God in remarkable ways. I mean, it it amazes me if you look at the book of Daniel and if you look even at the four empires that are put before us in chapter 2 in that image and then later on in some of Daniel's visions. And commentators are in the large part agreed as to the progression of those empires, some of the details and the future and all of that, not so much agreement. But to see that even in such times, the very leaders... Those powerful men who worshipped other gods, they were pagans. 
And yet they were brought to know something of the true God. In days when God's church, the testimony of Israel, well, it was pitiful. From one perspective, you could think, Israel's God must not be that great because, well, Israel's just among all these other nations that we now rule over. But Israel's God wasn't like the God of the other nations, and Israel's God was able to make himself known without Israel's help. And that's the same God that we worship and serve today, and he's still able to make himself known without the church's help. So I just want, as I said, to focus our thoughts, and our brother Wagner will forgive the lack of homiletical cohesiveness this evening, but some few devotional thoughts based upon this opening chapter and perhaps a little further into Daniel. I just want to set before you some meditations Meditations surrounding these themes, at least, sovereign chastisement, sovereign protection, and sovereign enablement. We see that not only in the first chapter, but throughout. I say it is remarkable the testimony that God enabled these few men, less than a handful, and in some cases just Daniel alone. The testimony he allowed them to bear before all the kings of the earth. But I say the first thought that must command our attention is the fact of sovereign chastisement. Daniel and his companions were living in what was a fulfillment of God's word, of God's promise to Israel as we read a portion of those threatenings from Deuteronomy this evening. God had with Mercy and long-suffering dealt with Israel for centuries in their apostasy, in their sin, but ultimately they had filled up their sins. And God allowed them to be taken captive by the heathen. And so these men are called upon to recognize a truth that I believe we must recognize. That God will for his own purposes, for a season, allow the ungodly to flourish. He will allow the ungodly to have ascendancy in the earth and allow his people to be a minority. Allow his people to be perhaps persecuted. And Daniel and his companions we're called upon to recognize that this is true because of sovereign chastisement. In the situation they're found in, there were temptations that could come upon them, as there will be and perhaps already are temptations that come upon us as God sovereignly allows ungodliness and the ungodly to have the ascendancy in our nation and in our world. We can tremble when we think of the comforts and the liberties we've enjoyed as God's people in our nation. We can look at the prosperity that we've enjoyed. Sometimes it burdens me to see Christians seemingly more concerned about losing the nation 
losing comforts, losing prosperity than, than losing the gospel, than losing the church. And these men recognized that they were where they were because of the sin of God's people. Read Nehemiah's prayers. Many, many years later, he is leading the remnant back out of the captivity. But they recognize the hand of God. And I say there are temptations that can come to us. If you look from this point in history, and you follow on the centuries that came subsequent to this, basically the intertestamental period, and you see where Israel was, you see where the church was in the days of Christ, it is staggering and it is quite humbling and frightening to consider how the church responded to what Luke calls the times of the Gentiles. And I submit to you just to think through what the factions were in the church by the time our Lord came on the scene. There was a group called the Sadducees. They were in many ways in the ascendancy in Israel. They were among the the rich and powerful. But they were were of the mindset, if we're going to survive as God's people, if the church is going to make it through these days of Gentile empires and the oppression and the occupation of Jerusalem and Judea, we got to work with these people. We got to make some changes. And so you see, as the Sadducees approach to Gentile dominance, well, doctrine was abandoned. Lifestyle issues were abandoned. And that section of the church basically became the world. Another group emerged alongside of these, the Pharisees. They looked at the Sadducees' approach and said, this is no way to handle this problem. We have got to be separate from these people. We have got to be distinct. Our lifestyle has to be radically different than the ungodly. Well, there's a lot of truth in that. But where do we find the Pharisees by the time our Lord appears? They don't recognize their own promised Messiah. He didn't fit the mold. He didn't fit the extra-biblical traditions and patterns that they had found necessary to deal with the occupation of the Gentiles. There was another group that emerged And they looked at the Pharisees and said, you know, they got the right idea, but they're not taking this far enough. We got to take it to the Romans. And so the faction of the Zealots came. I know these are great generalizations, but I think you can find all three of those mindsets in the church of our day. And I think in many ways it is an unbelieving mindset. Because instead of holding a gospel center of understanding the church's departure from the gospel is the reason for the ascendancy of ungodliness, 
The church turns to methodology to fix the problem. I thank God there was a remnant. We read in the opening pages of our New Testaments of, well, a Mary and Joseph, or an Elizabeth and Zacharias, or a Simeon and Anna, waiting for the consolation of Israel, keeping a gospel focus in the midst of this trial, and trusting God with what transpired. It's really amazing when you read through the prophecy of Daniel, the attitude that these men displayed toward their superiors. They weren't giving their Gentile superiors a hard time. They weren't trying to offend them and be rude at every point and point out their ungodliness and their subsequent or their own godliness by contrast. Look at the relationship that's displayed between Daniel and the prince of the eunuchs. A a tender love between them. A respect. Daniel's saying, look, there are lines here that we're not going to be able to cross. We don't want to cause you trouble. We just want you to know, and maybe we can work through this, but this is where we are. You kind of wonder how he responds to this. Of course, he's quite respectful to Daniel, but... After the ten days and the miraculous intervention of God, I I don't think this is the Daniel diet, and I'm not prepared to market that. Um, I, I don't think the particular food that was taken and the particular foods that were not taken were what was really going on. So I'll just put that out there. I think there was a principle that was going on and not a diet. I do wonder if part of the prince of the eunuchs willingness was well there was provision for four more that wasn't going to be used what are we going to do with that well maybe I'll take that to my house tonight well whatever it was Daniel wasn't trying to cause a problem but he did say here's a line we can't cross and so Daniel comes and he communicates that, and they stand. But they stand with remarkable calm. They don't stand in fear. They don't stand with an attitude. There's no rough edge about Daniel. Actually, I was reading one on this topic. It said, you'll search through the book of Daniel in vain to find any of these of the Lord's people being rude to a pagan. Much to the contrary. Even when their lives were on the line, they spoke respectfully. I love that section in chapter 3. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego before that fiery furnace. Be it known unto thee, O king, we can't bow down to worship this image. Our God that we serve is able to deliver us. But if not, What words those were. What a testimony. These men humbly admitted that God's hand of chastening was upon his people. They submitted to that. They bore testimony. But they bore it with remarkable calm. 
And you know, I've thought about this. When Daniel and his companions were there, if they had been fretful, if they had been fearful, if they had been angry, I mean, these are pagans. Look at how they live. And you think of their mindset. And I fear sometimes they're Christians that are approaching this pagan shift in our own culture. And it's like they're fretful. And by their very fretfulness or their fear or their anger, they're saying, oh, no, your gods are winning. Their gods aren't winning. Nebuchadnezzar's gods weren't winning. Belteshazzar's gods weren't winning, or Belshazzar's gods weren't winning. These men knew what was going on. It was a season of sovereign chastisement upon his own people. And I think we must ask the Lord for some sense of the same calmness in such trying times as our own. And to know our God is on the throne. There may be things that we have enjoyed from a civil, cultural standpoint that are lost and are greatly changed. We are, in a way, outcast from our society far more than ever before. Is that cause to fret? It may be a cause to be burdened. It may be a cause to pray, to ask God for help, to ask God for revival. But not to say it's time for us to take things into our own hands. Well, that just forces us to choose. The path of the Sadducee, the path of the Pharisee, the path of the Zealot, No, let us humbly submit to the sovereignty of God and take the path of the faithful, waiting for the consolation of Israel. I secondly just submit to you the thought with regard to sovereign protection. Daniel purposed in his heart. Commentators are not agreed on what it was. Was it the dietary laws that they did not want to transgress? Was it more toward a New Testament view of meat offered to idols? We're not told the reason. We just know that from Daniel and his companions' perspective, there was a line there that they knew for testimony's sake they could not cross. There may be many issues in our times that Christians can't necessarily agree on on, on where that line is, where the point of sin or of compromise comes. Let us each as Daniel purpose in our hearts, though, that that line won't be crossed. And God gives us of His Spirit to move and stir our conscience, that we not come to sin against conscience, again by some supposed plan of action, but that we purpose in our hearts not to defile ourselves. And as you see these men following the leading of the Spirit, 
following principle and not just emotion, it is staggering to see God's hand of protection upon them. I mean, here these four men in comparison to all of these princes and to the cream of the crop from all these nations that have been subdued and brought in. And here they take a stand that should sideline them. And ironically, they're advanced. They are seen to have a wisdom and a maturity above all the others by comparison. And you can see that time after time. Conflict, crisis after crisis through the book. God intervenes. God honors His own name. There's a phrase that I think it's interesting to follow through the Scriptures, particularly the Old Testament. It says, "Ye shall know that I am the Lord. At times God says that to His own people. At times God says that of the heathen. They're going to know I'm the Lord. Daniel's one of those times. The heathen, these powerful, world-ruling heathens, brought to their knees to know the heavens do rule. God getting glory to his own name. And God protecting these men through the sorest of trials. God doesn't protect all his children in the same way. I think it's interesting if you read through Hebrews 11. We call it the roll call of faith. And if you look at the history of the different individuals that are listed in that roll call, the outcome and the experience in many cases was vastly different. There's people in that list in Hebrews 11 that lived through what we would call revival. There are people in that list in Hebrews 11 that that lived in times where they were lonely voices. There are people in that list in Hebrews 11 that died awful deaths of martyrdom. But these all died in faith. These all looked for a different kingdom, a better city. We don't know what circumstances God will call us to live through. But our God is able to deliver us through the fieriest trial. And that was quite literal for three of these men. I love the line in that hymn, Through fiery trials I call thee to go. And then that refrain, I will be with thee. And you see the story, Nebuchadnezzar stands in amazement. Did not we cast three men bound into the fire? I see four loose walking. God can be present with us. God will be present with us. Whatever he calls us to endure, let us be faithful. Sovereign protection was the lot of these men. But also there was sovereign enablement. God honored their testimony and their reputation. That we see in the chapter we've read through, we might say, a mild trial. 
just whether they'll cross a line with regard to diet and what they pursue. But you know, faithfulness in little things, well, there may be preparatory work for our being faithful in larger things. But God enabled them. God gave them of His Word and gave them of His presence. And we can reckon upon the same faithfulness and the same enablement of our God. Again, not certain of the outcome, not certain what His sovereign purpose and providence for us individually might be. But to be able with these men to say, our God is able to deliver us, but if not, we'll still be faithful. But God's Word and God's kingdom whatever the end of our times may be. If it be deeper sin, more of the results of apostasy, darkness descending in ever-deepening ways, or if it be God to send revival to His people. Pray that trials might lead us to seek that outcome instead of abandoning hope in God. Really, when you think of the Sadducees and the Pharisees and the Zealots, all of their positions were unbelieving. We got to deal with this. No, it may be that we need to sit back faithfully and let God deal with this. Let the only waves we make be gospel waves. Preaching truth, preaching hope to a generation that is displaying its hopelessness. I read an interesting comment from one on this portion with regard to the certainty of God's Word and God's purpose. I'll just share it with you. In the 1920s, Lord Reith helped to establish the BBC the British Broadcasting Corporation, and then from 1927 served as its first general director. He was somewhat a severe man from the highlands of Scotland. As the BBC began to be carried along by the tide of secularism that swept through Britain in the 60s, a young producer stood up in a meeting one day and said to Lord Wraith that the world was changing and that the BBC did not need to continue with its religious programming output. People weren't any longer interested in it, he said, and the church was becoming increasingly obsolete. Lord Reith, who was six foot six, stood up, told this young man to take a seat, and said, The church will stand at the grave of the BBC. I don't know how many directors in the BBC or CNN or MSNBC or even Fox News would say such a thing today. But God will be on the throne when all of these institutions of incredible power, it seems to us, fall away to dust. These are sobering days, but they're not days to be fearful. And to let our fears 
push us into inappropriate things. You know, Israel had that problem prior to the captivity. When these powerful nations were threatening and they could seemingly get no help from God, well, there were reasons for that, but those reasons they wouldn't investigate. They began to ask other nations for help. They took up the methodology of the nations. And I wonder how often, and perhaps even conservative Christians, can unwittingly take that approach. God isn't helping. Let's find help elsewhere. And perhaps do it without consciously going that route. But yet have unbelief and fear take us in that direction. The solutions that are before us today that we need, they're not political. They're not in the greatest sense moral. They're spiritual. They're gospel solutions. I've said in I pulpit many times in Winston and for many, many years, there are a lot of ways where the church has more to fear today from the right than it does from the left. Because our culture has become so increasingly ungodly that we can get confused and think, well, I'll use a little language from the 70s if any of you can remember and join in. But it's like anybody that doesn't party is my brother. And that's not true. Ask yourself at times a question where political things come before you. Where would the Pharisees stand on this issue? They'd stand where we stand. Ask yourself this question sometime. What did Jesus and the Pharisees have in common? They had a lot in common. But it was the chief priests. It was the Sadducees and the Pharisees that wanted to crucify Christ. Because the one thing they weren't content with under Roman oppression was a message of grace. Was the gospel of Jesus Christ. And friends, that's all we have to offer. And that's all we have to rest upon. And that is all we need. Because it's the only thing that makes a difference now and for eternity. I've spoken in for the most part, vague generalities tonight. But I think there are 101 directions that what I've put before you can and should be applied. We must, at such a time as this, be a gospel people. That is eternal truth. That ultimately is the only thing that matters. And to lose our testimony in such times 
on lesser things. Wouldn't it be nice to be able to go unto a Melzar and speak to him about important stuff? Wouldn't it be interesting to be like Paul was in Ephesus, you know, even as that riot was being formed? I was, I was smitten several years back teaching through Acts in our seminary. A little phrase I'd never noticed. But the leaders of Ephesus, the political leaders of that Roman, ungodly, worldly city, they didn't want Paul to go into the theater. And there's a little phrase in the middle there. It says, of these men, which were his friends? Paul had patiently interacted with such men. Paul had with wisdom conducted himself in such a way that he had an audience with such men. Paul one day would die at the hands of such men. Better to be on the wrong side of them for the right reasons than the wrong ones. May God give us wisdom, discernment in such times. Times where as this remnant of Israel were called upon to live when God gave to the pagan the rule of the day. And yet, all the while showing and teaching them that they really didn't rule anything. He rules. The heavens do rule. And really, one of the great lessons of the book of Daniel is what we should take away. But look at Babylon. Look at its power. Look at its influence. Look at its control. Look at its ungodliness. Do we fret? Or do we say, no, our God rules. Let us faithfully and even calmly serve him in such days. Calmness in captivity. Not necessarily an easy thing, but I think it's a thing we need because such days, such changing days are coming upon us. Let's bow our heads together. Heavenly Father, we tonight ask you might prosper even these scattered thoughts. Lord, take up the reading of the pages of Scripture and give us wisdom. Lord, give us wisdom individually. Give us wisdom corporately in applying such truth and seeking you and your presence. Lord, in living and showing the gospel in the times that you've called us to live in. So, Lord, bless your word to every heart we ask. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.